the last couple weeks, we have been going through Acts uh, chapter 9, verse 31. And uh, Acts 9, 31 is, is really just this picture. It paints this beautiful picture of the early church. In Acts 9, as Acts 9 begins, we see that uh, the Apostle Paul, who wasn't the Apostle Paul at the time, his name was Saul, he came to know Jesus in a really powerful way. Had an encounter with Jesus, and his life was, was transformed. And so the number one enemy of the church in the first century uh, was all of a sudden converted. And as we think about situations happening all around the world today, like that's our prayer. Like those who hate Christianity, those who hate Jesus, we are praying that they would have an encounter with Jesus, that he would encounter them face to face and their lives would be transformed. But all of a sudden, like in the first century, this happened. Saul, who eventually became Paul, was transformed and he went from persecuting Christians to being persecuted himself. And in verse 31, we get this beautiful description of the early church. It says this in Acts 9, uh, 31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about walking in the fear of the Lord. And what does it mean to walk in the fear of the Lord? To have this, this awe, this, this reverence of, of who God is. To, to maximize God in our lives is what Marta uh, shared last week. Like, we need to maximize God in our lives. Have, allow Him to have the proper place in our lives. The bigness of God. To be in awe is to have this reverence for who He is. And I was really thinking about the question, or that, 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 that statement that Marta made last week, and this question came to my mind. And it is this, who or what is the biggest in my life or in your life? As you think about your life, like, who is the biggest? As Marta talked last week, like, maximizing God in your life, who or what is the biggest in your life? And if I look at some things in my life, I think problems come into life, and that becomes big. Like, other hobbies or, or worries in our lives become big, and that's what we focus on. But I think what the Lord has been teaching me and us is, like, we need to maximize Him. He needs to be the biggest. But there is this pull always towards us being the center of the circle, center of our lives. Lives being all about us. And a couple of years ago, I was really wrecked by this. When I was having a conversation with, with some people about one of the shorter parables that Jesus shares in Matthew. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. I just want to read these two parables. And this is like just a, a little tangent in the midst of this message and where we want to go this morning. But Jesus shares a parable, a story, about the kingdom of God. And it's one of the shorter ones. It's only a verse. Actually, in three verses, he shares two parables. And I read this parable to some younger people years ago. And here's what it says. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Then Jesus goes on and says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, those, those two parables like, summarize the kingdom of God and, and what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I always love the first one where this man finds his treasure in a field and then he, he buries it and hides it. And then in joy, like with great joy, he sells all that he has because he has to have that field. 
And I remember sitting with a group of college students, and I said, what do you think this means? And they looked at me, and they said, well, I'm the treasure. I'm the great pearl. Like, I am, I'm the one that, like, just, like, people are searching for. And I remember thinking, like, in that moment, now I can come up with some words, and I'm like, I was speechless. Because I'm looking at these, this parable, and it's like, okay, you know what, we can get this, par- this picture. Jesus absolutely loves us. He's in pursuit of us. I never want to minimize the love that Jesus has for us. But for centuries, this parable has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. Like, this is the kingdom of heaven and Jesus. And when we find Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the kingdom, he is worth everything. And with great joy, we sell everything and give it all to following Jesus. I mean, that's the picture of the Christian life. The picture of the Christian life is it's not about us. And I thought about that. And, like, there's so much of our Western culture that seeps into Christianity where it wants to make it all about us, where we become the point, where we become the focus, where we become like that picture, that circle up on the screen. Like, it all all is about us. And I think over the last couple weeks, talking about the fear of the Lord, that shifts things. Because it's not about us. It's not about us being the focus. It's ultimately about the king of the universe, God, being the one who is worthy of all worship, being the focus of our attention and the focus of our lives. We see this all throughout scripture. Psalm Psalm 23. We all know this psalm. It's up on the screen. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. All of these things he does for us. And I love it that we get to sit down in, in green pastures. Lie down. He leads us beside still Lake Michigan waters. That he leads us in, in paths of righteousness. That he restores us. We love that. But why does he do that? What's the reason for that? For his namesake. For his glory. So that people see how great he is, not how people see how great we are, so that people see how great he is. Marta last week took us through Daniel. And there's a couple verses that I want to remind us of. Daniel 3, the the story of the fiery furnace, where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get, um, actually, it's just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is Daniel in there? He was in there. Or is it? Anyway, it's back. But they're in the throne of the fiery furnace. And, And they survive. And when they look at the fiery furnace, they're like, didn't we put three people in there? Like, why do we see a fourth in there? And this is what Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time, said in response to what happened. To praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Next slide. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people... Whatever the race or nation or language speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. What was the point of that? Yes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego benefited greatly from from being rescued. But the point was, so that Nebuchadnezzar is like, no, there's no God like their God. There's no God like him. He alone is worthy to be praised. And actually, if you don't praise him, it's going to be pretty troublesome for you. And then in Daniel 6, the lion's den. A couple years later, Darius, the king at that time, says something similar. He goes, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom, 
after God rescued him, to tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. There has to be this shift that happens in our lives. From having life be all focused on us, me, being in the center of that circle, to all of a sudden it shifts to be about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and his kingdom. One other verse I want to turn to, Revelation 12. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 12. Because I think this is a picture of what it looks like to live this kind of life. And the leaders of Restoration Church, we were praying a couple weeks ago, and um, this verse kept coming up. And this is a verse of like that paints a picture of the type of followers of Jesus that we want to be. In verse 10 of Revelation 12, talks about the enemy being thrown down. And it says this in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. A powerful picture of salvation. It says this, And they conquered him, conquered the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony. And then this phrase, For they loved not their lives even unto death. We were praying. And that's our like, greatest desire for us as a people, is that we would not love our lives so much. That God would be the center of our lives. That God would be the, the, the focus, the, the, the anthem of our soul. Like everything that we're about. Be so focused on God that we would not hold so closely to our lives. This week I was listening to a podcast. And in this podcast there was a, a woman who was speaking who was a, a Christian believer. Counter-terrorist. And she was talking about some work that she was doing with people who were potential terrorists. And she said there was something that they said that really shocked her. That really, like, like really hit her and challenged her as a follower of Jesus. She said this as she was talking to potential terrorists, trying to get some information. She said this, the problem with you, speaking of you in the West, is that you love life as much as we love death. She was really challenged by this loving life. These people would say, you just love your life. You hold on to your life. You're concerned about the worries of this life. And as a follower of Jesus, she started to think, like, is that true of her life? Is she so focused on, on keeping and preserving her life? Or is she so focused on emptying out her life for the glory of Jesus? And that's our heart. Some of you know that um, two weeks ago, our family had to put our six-year-old dog down. And it looked like Rex yet. I'm sorry, like, I didn't realize like, how much that would wreck me. But um, I think of dogs, and I've always appreciated dogs this way in comparison with cats. <laughs> when you come home and you see a cat in your house, they just kind of prance around. And I think like they think this way. I've never talked to a cat, but I think that they think this way. Like, a cat's like, oh, this person feeds me. This person cares for me. I must be God. Like, a cat is like, oh, my God, I'm all in. But when a dog, you come home and you have a dog, they would come home, like, our dog would, especially when we were gone for a while, would come to the back door, would jump up and give us a hug and have a smile. And here's what I think dogs do. 
This is how I think they would think. They think like, wow, this person feeds me. This person cares for me. They must be God. And I think like we in our lives have to have this shift in our thinking from cat thinking to dog thinking. Become a little bit doggish in our lives and be like, God, you are the center of everything that we are. You're the center of our lives. It's not about us. And I believe that's what followers of Jesus were doing in Acts 9. They were living their lives in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I mean, look at this verse, Acts 9. It says the church was being built up. The church was being built up. This, this movement, this, this community of people who were on mission. It was never about a place. It was never about brick and mortar and a structure. It was always about this community of people that were on, 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 on mission together, had a common purpose. This church was being built up all throughout Judea and Galilee. At peace, it was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that second part, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, I think that reminds us of what sets our God apart from any other God in the world or in the universe. That we have a God who is alive first and foremost. Jesus is seated on the throne right now. But we have a God who interacts with us, who has a relationship with us, who hears us, who knows us that we can have a relationship with. And that's what the, that picture of walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit is painting. I think of, of, of um, back in the Old Testament, when Elijah and the prophets of Baal were going in. Remember that story? And, and, and they needed to decide once and for all, like, who's God? And Elijah's like, okay, we'll take a, a calf and we'll put him on the altar and you do the same thing. And, and whoever's altar gets burnt up, then that's the God that we're worshiping. And the prophets of Baal spent all day like cutting themselves and crying out to their God. And I love that Elijah is like taunting them. Like saying, maybe your God's you know, gone on a vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's like sleeping. You're like, cry out louder. And it says in the scripture, it says, there was no response. They were not heard. And then all of a sudden, Elijah cries out and prays to God. And the whole thing catches on fire. And God hears and God sees. And that's what we always have to remember is that we have a God who sees, a God who hears, a God who longs to have a relationship with us. And I think um, Acts 9, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, is frankly this perfect picture of intimacy with God. Having this correct relationship, this correct awareness of who he is, maximizing him in our lives, but understanding that as a follower of Jesus, we can go into his temple at any time. We can go before him at any time and pour out our hearts before him. And that walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit means that God is not distant, but comes alongside, comes next to us. And this word comfort means it comes alongside to comfort us, encourage us, strengthen us, and exhort us. And there's just two things I want to highlight this morning. First of all, there's this word, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There's so many things that we can talk about when it comes to the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But first of all, I want us to know and remember, when it comes to the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that he comes and he strengthens us, he encourages us, and he gives us confidence. And how does he do that? It's knowing that he is with us. That he is, is not distant, he, he's right next to us. Jesus said, it's good that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. But in John 14, verse 17, it says, not just going to be with you, going to be in you. That's how close he's going to be. He's not distant. We are the, the temple of the living God. The same God that we read about in the Old Testament, we are his temple. He dwells within us. 
I mean, that should give us a great amount of, of confidence and strength, knowing that wherever we go, whatever we do in life, that he is not far, he is with us. Psalm 23, again, verse 4. We know this. We've, we've heard this shared at, at funerals and different, different difficult times, and this is so true. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear. For God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is with us constantly, protecting us with his rod and his staff. And I love, especially verse 5 of Psalm 23, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I mean, imagine you being with your enemies. Imagine like your enemies. Maybe you have enemies, maybe you don't. Grumman does, I know, for sure. But um, maybe you have enemies. But imagine like God preparing a table and sitting at your table with you when you're surrounded by your enemies. That's how close God is. That your enemies may be surrounding you, but they don't have a seat at your table. God is with you in the midst of, of difficulty, of storms in your life. And I think this is one of the most powerful things when it comes to persecution, when it comes to difficulty. Because it's during those times that we are keenly aware of our need for the presence of God. When we're uncomfortable, we need the comforter to come into our lives. We cry out. That's why I, when we read about believers in Afghanistan and all over the world, like they are probably experiencing, not probably, I know they're experiencing a closeness with the Lord because it's in the midst of difficulty, you're crying out to God and you've experienced this in your own life, that you experience Him and know Him in a really powerful way. And I often think, like, what happens in our lives when we're comfortable? We kind of, like, go through life, we're like, oh, yeah, we're good. And we don't need the comforter because we're so comfortable. But in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of the, the early church when they were facing persecution, that they cried out and they knew the closeness of God, the Holy Spirit comforting them. So the Holy Spirit comforts us. Walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit means that he comes alongside and he comforts us. He strengthens us. He gives us everything that we need. But the other picture of this word, and the one that I've really like wrestled with over the last little bit, is it's not just coming alongside to give us confidence, to strengthen us, but actually convict us of sin. This word is like means strongly urging us to do something. The Holy Spirit coming alongside and saying, this is what I want for your life. Now, nobody wants to be convicted. Nobody wants to be challenged. Nobody wants to like, have areas of their life pointed out. I mean, when this happens in your life, are you quick to be like, oh yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Or if someone close to you points out a weakness in your life, do you come to like a defense? Do you like, hey, that's not me. And do you like result in a little bit of an argument? I know for me, if someone points something out, my first response sadly. It's not one of, oh, thank you. It's one of defense. <laughs> and so we don't like to be, have this pointed out in our lives. But the Holy Spirit comes alongside, actually, in John 16. It says that the purpose of the Holy Spirit will be coming, he'll come to the world to convict the world of sin. And why is this so important in our lives? It's because it paints another picture, beautiful picture of God. That he loves us so much. He loves us where we are. But he also doesn't want us to stay there. He continues to want to have us grow in our relationship with him, to root out things in our lives that don't align with the kingdom of God and what he wants for our lives. And so he comes alongside and he convicts, convicts us of sin. Now, 
There's a big difference, though, between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is like, hey, I want more for your life. This is an area, this is something that you're doing wrong. Condemnation, the enemy comes and condemns us and it says, you are wrong. Condemnation keeps us away from God. Conviction draws us closer to God through confession and repentance. The condemnation goes way in the past and says, yeah, this is who you are, this is what you've done, you're never going to change. Conviction is like God saying, no, this is, you've come so far, there's, there's more areas of your life that I want you to grow in. And so there's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation keeps us away from God. Conviction, God uses in our lives to show us like, hey, come to me and this needs to change in your life. And as we think about being convicted of the Holy Spirit, those things in our lives that come up as we're sitting alone quietly before the Lord, and there's just like, we know when there's areas of our lives that need to change. Our hearts soften to the Lord, open to the Lord, to change those areas. Are we listening to His voice? Are we, are we having a hard heart and saying, no, I'm not going to listen to that? Over the last little bit, I've been convicted in a couple of different ways. A couple of weeks ago, I'm going to share them with you. A couple of weeks ago, we were up at Victory Point Church, and I don't know if you were there. We were worshiping together, and, and my friend Dwight Neal uh, introduced me on stage, and he was talking about how um, how uh, like he was responsible for bringing Cece and I together, and he was an instrumental part of that. And then I kind of grabbed the microphone and just kind of spoke and interrupted him, and I said, "Yeah, we're still waiting for you to be married," and I shared that. And people laughed and blah, 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 blah. And it was after I had taught, after the service, I felt this big pit in my stomach. I was like, what a jerk I was. I should not have done that. So that afternoon, I went to Dwight, and, and um, as we were standing around a barbecue, and, and I said, dude, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm so sorry. I should not have taken that, that, that shot. And he goes, oh, it's all right. You forgave me. He's like, it wasn't a, wasn't a big deal. And uh, we shared a couple other things, and it was, it was fine. But then the reason I'm sharing that here is because I felt recently that I need to share that with all of you because um, while it's fine with Dwight, someone might have been there and gotten the picture that uh, marriage is the, uh, is the complete picture of a Christian life. That, you know, that those words could have hurt somebody in that room, and maybe one of you here was hurt by those words that I shared. And I just, like, wanted to say sorry for that. Sorry for like, put, you know, having a cheap shot at a friend and, and putting that out there, and, and uh, it just was 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 wrong. And I was running, and this little conviction came up, and I'm like, huh, you know. But when the Lord does it, when He brings that conviction, there's freedom in that because I don't want to just keep carrying that around. The other thing um, that I just wanted to share with you and, and apologize for was uh, a couple weeks ago, I said something. I'll get to what I, I said up here. And uh, conviction can also, you know, most often come through those closest to you. And later that day after I shared something, my wife, Cece, and, uh, was used by the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, you should have said something different. And it was a couple weeks ago when we started talking about the fear of the Lord, and I, I said, um, you know what, not a lot of people talk about this. It's not talked about in the church. And frankly, years ago, I talked to my wife and I said, you know what, I never want to say that. Because there are people that talk about the fear of the Lord. We're not the only ones that talk about the fear of the Lord. And she brought that to my attention. I'm like, you know what? In my heart, there was some pride and arrogance. And I'm like, that needs to go. Never want to have that in my life and in anyone's life. But like for me, I'm like, you know what? 
Thanks for, for showing that to me. Because that arrogance of pride that was in that statement needs to be confessed and repented of. And so to you, I just say, sorry for that. But there's beauty in like talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't want us to walk away from here going, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit just convicts us. No, the reason that he does is so that we can have life and have it abundantly. Because he wants us to walk around with freedom and the joy of knowing not being weighed down by sin and any other weight that would prevent us to follow Jesus. And so as we wrap up our time, I want to just have a couple minutes of silence. And yes, a couple minutes, so not just seconds, a couple minutes of silence. And I want to invite you to allow the Lord to search your heart. There are so many things in life that cloud our minds, that busy our minds, that fill our, our lives with noise. And just to sit before the Lord and say, Lord, search my heart. Is there anything in my heart that doesn't align with how you want me to be living? And then just in that, confess it to the Lord. And here's the beautiful thing. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And he's paid for it on the cross. But as we come before him, he's like, yeah, I know that. You're good. Forgive me. And so I want us just to take a little bit of time right now. Allow the Lord to search your heart. Is there any way, is there anything in your life that has crept in? Something that isn't of the Lord, that isn't of the kingdom. And you know, I don't have to point it out, you know in the depth of your heart, you're like, yeah, this is wrong. So let's just bow our heads and just allow the Lord's space to search our hearts. Father, I thank you. Like it says in Hebrews, that you discipline those you love. That you care so much about us that when there's something a little off, you highlight it to us. You convict us. You challenge us. You just say, hey, can I get rid of that? And I thank you for the motivation behind that. The motivation is that you don't want us to be weighed down by anything. You want us to live our lives free 
and those things that the enemy wants to use in our lives to trip us up, to entangle us. And so we thank you again, Father, for being such a loving Father. Thank you that uh, you do search our hearts. And I pray that we would not be like the Israelites, that we would not have our hearts hardened, that our hearts would not be hearts of stone, but that our hearts would be hearts of flesh that would be soft towards you, that we would be quick to respond, that we would be quick to confess, that we would be quick to repent. Father, I ask, too, that this morning that we would live our lives wholeheartedly for you in every aspect. We just pray the words that, that Paul, not Paul, John prayed, that we would decrease and that you would increase in our lives, Jesus. Every area, in our families, that you would increase, Jesus, that we would decrease. In this community, that you would increase, Jesus. In this world, that you would increase. Pray this all in your name.